Hi, welcome to Forever Paranormal with Dr. Bill and Deb. The term paranormal refers to phenomena and experiences that are beyond the scope of normal scientific understanding and cannot be easily explained through traditional scientific principles. These phenomena often challenge conventional beliefs and are associated with the supernatural, metaphysical, or unexplained aspects of reality. As with any field of inquiry, it is essential to approach the paranormal with an open but critical mind, relying on empirical evidence and logical reasoning to draw conclusions. It's a topic that continues to intrigue and challenge both believers and skeptics alike, and if we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. You'll be surprised by what all can be connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Please just reach out. It's Halloween. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to my favorite holiday of the year and the topic of this week's episode, Halloween. Well, hey, Deb, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. So you got anything new going on this week? I tried to find some good news reports in the daily headlines to no avail, but I can say it's always a good day when you wake up on this side of the dirt, like you like to say. Oh, yeah, that is one of my favorite sayings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got a positive note for this week. Yesterday, the hawk was spending a lot of time with us, you know, Mm -hmm. so that was kind of cool. So it was pretty neat to see him come down in the yard and feed and hang out on the line and, and watch us come and go and yep. just participate in our life. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So, Deb, I know that you had kind of a strange childhood. And you I don't <laughs> even know if you were allowed to go trick-or-treating or not. <laughs> I didn't um, have any neighbors. I was going to say, I don't think you had any neighbors at all. Maybe you took your little red wagon and went around <laughs> the driveway a couple times and knocked on the door. Yeah. So, what do you think about Halloween? I question if it's an official holiday. Absolutely, it is an official holiday. It's not a government holiday where the government gets the day off, but it is an official holiday. So, you didn't realize it was a holiday. Is that why I'm only allowed to put my Halloween stuff up in the house from Mm -hmm. October 1st to November 1st? No, I just don't like looking at it. Oh, Kind of like I can't even put the Christmas stuff up until after Thanksgiving. I get it. Well, at least I have an office, right? In my office here, folks, <laughs> it's Halloween year-round. There, There is Halloween stuff here year-round. Yes, there is. Don't worry about that. So anyhow, we need to get to our subject of the week, which is Halloween. Yes, let's move on. Okay, so what is the backstory on Halloween and the events associated with it, both good and bad. This day is celebrated on October 31st each and every year, and is based on a Celtic festival of Samhain, and is said to be documented back to at least before the 2nd century. 
This day starts on October 31st and ends on November 1st. It marks the end of the harvest season and the beginning of the dark. Some of the things they did during the festival was to light bonfires and wear costumes to fool the spirits and fairies. This is said to be the time of year when the veil between our plane and the spirit plane is thinnest and many cross back and forth both directions. A portal or vortex, if you will. Deb, well, you know me well enough to know that that would have been one kind of party I could have stayed at for days. Well, maybe anyhow, but... Maybe. Yeah. So, but to try and round up the pagan religion and the profane a little more, in the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as All Saints Day, which, of course, was the last day of Samhain. The 31st then became All Hallows Eve and eventually Halloween. And, of course, like many other pagan celebrations... The church incorporated many of the pagan traditions, making them their own. But as history teaches us, the Romans were pretty good at doing this in the lands they conquered as well. Why do you think that churches do this? I mean, I'm not a believer now, but if I recall from my younger days of going to church, that extravagance and activities of the sort you just mentioned were considered inappropriate so why would they incorporate them into what end it depends on what religion you were growing up i know catholic especially catholic and then lutheran was was pretty much the same way but the catholics you remember at that time they ruled the world with whatever king was in charge it was the church and the king and they converted everybody That was their job, to convert everybody to Catholicism. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more in depth of why these things got incorporated as we go on. But it's basically to turn the people into Catholics, get them converted. But I guess I'm not asking the right question. Extravagant things and parties and stuff like that to me were considered inappropriate. Well, that really wasn't part of it back then. The way Halloween parties are now and the extravagance of Halloween didn't come along until later in time. And a lot of that started here in the States. Well, some of it started in the Middle Ages. And we'll go into that and I'll explain how those items got started. Okay. We also know that tied into all of this is October 30th, which is now known as Devil's Night. But, Deb, you call it what? Uh, Mischief Night. Okay, whatever. And then we have All Saints Day on November 1st and Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, on November 2nd. These days have now all been tied into liturgical calendar, the seasonal worship cycles in the year, and we remember the dead. Hallows, which is saints, and the martyrs and our dearly departed. Why do so many adults still love Halloween? Well, there are many reasons, but I observed this one personally many times over, and it's my personal opinion. It has nothing to do with religion. or It's just the one time a year when someone can really let their inner desires and fantasies come out 
and say it's all in front of the costume or the party. But how did we get from the Festival of Samhain to our current Halloween? Well, according to the editors of History, the ancient Celts who lived 2,000 years ago in the area that is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France, marked Samhain at the midpoint between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. During this time of year, hearth fires and family homes were left to burn out while the harvest was gathered. To commemorate the event, Jewish priests built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. During the celebration, the Celts wore costumes typically consisting of animal heads and skins and attempted to tell each other's fortunes. Then, when the celebration was over, they relit their hearth fires from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the coming winter. The Celts believed that the barrier between the physical and spirit worlds was breachable during Samhain. It was expected that ancestors who died the prior year might cross over during this time as well, and Celts would dress as animals and monsters so that the fairies that came to carry the souls were not tempted to kidnap and take them too. We touched on how the Catholic Church established November 1st as All Saints Day, a day commemorating all the saints of the Church. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended and supplanted older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the Church made November 2nd All Cell All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. It's widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with the related church-sanctioned holiday. As All Souls Day was celebrated similar to Samhain with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils. You've heard the old saying, if you can't convert them, Join them and call it your own. It's said that trick-or-treating actually began to emerge during the Middle Ages. In England and Ireland, during All Saints Day and All Souls Day celebrations, the poor people would visit the houses of the wealthier families and receive pastries called soul cakes in exchange for a promise to pray for the souls of the homeowner's dead relatives. This was originally known as souling. The practice was later taken up by children who would go from door to door asking for gifts such as food, money, and ale, an early form of trick-or-treating. Kids really went looking for ale? Well, I guess beer drinking was not regulated to 21 at that point, huh? I guess. Yeah. Anyhow, trick-or-treating as we know it wasn't always so nice and community-based. When immigrants from Scotland and Ireland brought their Halloween traditions to the United States in the middle of the 1800s, they celebrated as they did back in their homelands. Not with children going door-to-door looking for sweets, but by pulling pranks. This is also when Halloween came to America, since the majority of it was largely Protestant, with the exception of Maryland and some of the other southern states that were largely Catholic-dominated. In Ireland, boys would carve spooky faces and turnips to scare unwary travelers. And they would tie strings to cabbages and pull them through fields to scare people, says Lisa Morton, author of 
Trick or Treat, A History of Halloween. The Scots had one obnoxious prank where they would pull a cabbage stalk, get it smoking, and shove it into the keyhole at someone's door so that when that person come home, they would find a house filled with this obnoxious smelling vapor. What was the purpose of pulling pranks? I mean, what gets accomplished? People have fun. That's all about it. It's like there's TV shows all about it, you know, uh, that are very popular and stuff. It's watching people's reactions and laughing at them and making fun of them. It's being mean. That's what people do. People are mean. So it's just human nature to... Yeah, I think it is human nature. To be a turd sometimes. But anyhow, back at it. So what are some of the tricks? Across the American countryside, toward the end of the 1800s, common Halloween tricks included placing farmers' wagons and livestock on barn roofs, uprooting vegetables in backyard gardens, and tipping over outhouses, especially if they were occupied. In some regions, so many gates were taken off their hinges or opened to allow the livestock to escape that October 31st was known as Gate Night. A teetotaling Protestant minister in Steubenville, Ohio, awoke after one Halloween to discover his front porch decorated with beer signs and towering pyramids of beer kegs. The advent of the automobile delivered further opportunities for mischief such as removing manhole covers from the streets, deflating tires, and erecting fake detour signs to confuse motorists. But, Deb, I, I want to add one more thing to, you know, the, the prank stuff. It's guys. It's a guy thing, right? So. I don't know. You ever heard of the movie Mean Girls? Yeah, that's, they're just being mean. But <laughs> the, the pranks and stuff all the time is usually guys. So we'll, we'll just throw that in there, okay? Okay. All right. At first, the pranking was pretty innocent and limited to the rural places. But as metropolitan areas expanded, kids took the pranking to the cities, and it became more destructive with setting fires, breaking glass, and tripping pedestrians. Boys ran through city streets splattering people with bags of flour or black stockings filled with ashes. One year, youths in Kansas City waxed streetcar tracks on a steep hill causing a vehicle to slip and crash into another streetcar, seriously injuring the conductor. But maybe it was going too far. In 1902, an editorial in the Cook County Herald expressed the frustration that many people were feeling about these pranks. According to the records, it was written, We would advise the public to load their muskets or cannon with rock salt or birdshot and when trespassers invade your premises at unseemly hours upon mischief bent, pepper them good and proper, so they will be effectively cured and have no further taste for such tricks. That's a little harsh, I think. But, some Americans did take up arms against the Halloween tricksters, with fatal consequences. When pranksters in Tucson, Arizona, stretched a wire across the sidewalk to trip passers-by, in 1907, one pedestrian who was tripped and thrown to the ground drew his revolver and shot dead one of the jokesters. That same year, newspapers reported that a woman in Logansport, Indiana, was literally scared to death 
and her heart stopped when her daughter answered a knock at the door and screamed when a group of boys thrust a grinning pumpkin lantern into her face. The malicious violence and looting connected with Halloween only grew worse during the economic freefall of the Great Depression, and by 1933, the holiday had become so destructive that many cities considered banning it altogether. During the 1930s, civic and religious authorities, community organizations, and neighborhood families began to program parties, carnivals, and costume parades on Halloween to keep the kids out of trouble. There wasn't a lot of money during the Great Depression, so people pulled their resources and staged house-to-house parties. The first house might give out costumes such as old white sheets so they could be ghost or soot to smudge on kids' faces. The next house might give out treats, and the next might have a basement set up as a tiny little haunt. This starts to morph into kids getting dressed up and going house-to-house trick-or-treating. Ah, but, you know, people are going to be people, and even though Halloween itself grew tamer as trick-or-treating became part of the American culture in the 1950s, the mischief didn't disappear completely. It was just moved to the night before Halloween. Kids wanted both the trick-or-treating and their pranking, so they moved it to October 30th. Although it seemed to be a Midwest and East Coast thing, it never really did reach out West much, and it's still pretty much ongoing to this day. This is also the time in the U.S. where there was a move to mold Halloween into a holiday more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. Parties focused on games, foods of the season, and festive costumes. And young women believed that on Halloween, they could divine the name or the appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple parings, or mirrors. But wait a minute, isn't that still a form of witchcraft and divination? I think so. So, anyhow, parents were encouraged by newspapers and community leaders to take everything frightening or grotesque out of Halloween celebrations. Because of these efforts, Halloween lost most of its superstitious and religious overtones by the beginning of the 20th century. Then, as we heard previously from Deb in another episode, the practice of carving faces into vegetables became associated with Halloween in Ireland and Scotland around the 1800s. Jack-o'-lanterns originated from an Irish myth about a man named Stingy Jack, who tricked the devil and was forced to roam the earth with only a burning coal and a turnip to light his way. People began to make their own versions of jack-lanterns by carving scary faces into turnips or potatoes and placing them into windows or near doors to frighten away Stingy Jack and other wandering evil spirits. You know, Deb, why don't you go ahead and tell us the full story, not the abridged version, of Stingy Jack this time, please? Okay, well, the legend of Stingy Jack. According to the story, Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. True to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink, so... He convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin that Jack could use to buy their drinks. 
Once the devil did so, Jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross, which prevented the devil from changing back into his original form. Jack eventually freed the devil, under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year and that should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. The next year, Jack again tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree's bark so that the devil could not come down until the devil promised Jack not to bother him for ten more years. Soon after, Jack died. As the legend goes, God would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven. The devil, upset by the trick Jack had played on him and keeping his word not to claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell. He sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth with it ever since. The Irish began to refer to this ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern, and then simply Jack-o'-lantern. Oh, well... That is a pretty cool story. And, you know, I'm impressed by the way he was able to fool the devil several times. It's usually the devil that fools us, right? Well, it is a story. Yeah, but here's a fun fact. Pumpkins weren't used until the tradition was brought to the U.S. As they discovered, this Native American fruit made great jack-o'-lanterns. So it was beets, turnips, everything else Mm -hmm. until they come to the U.S., That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It was around the 1930s when they were trying to tame down the pranksters that the tradition of haunted houses got started in the U.S. as well. Haunted or spooky public attractions had already some precedent in Europe starting in the 1800s. Marie Tussaud's Wax Museum in London featured a chamber of horrors with decapitated figures from the French Revolution. In 1915, a British amusement ride manufacturer created an early haunted house complete with dim lights, shaking floors, and demonic screams as you rode through it. We know that costumes and disguises have figured into Halloween celebrations since the holiday's earliest days. But it wasn't until around 1950 that costumes started to look like we know them as today. Costumes became more important and less abstract and scary. They began to take the form of things children would have enjoyed seeing, like characters from popular radio shows, comics, and movies. In the 50s, mass-produced box costumes became more affordable, so more kids began to use them and dress up as a princess, mummies, clowns, and more specific characters like Batman and the Frankenstein monster. Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually on Halloween. And we know most of that's on Skittles, right? (laughs) Yeah. Making it the country's second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. Speaking of commercial success, scary Halloween movies have a long history of being box office hits. Classic movies include the Halloween franchise, based on the 1978 original film directed by John Carpenter and starring Donald Pleasance, Nick Castle, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Tony Moran. 
In Halloween, a young boy named Michael Myers murders his 17-year-old sister and is committed to jail, only to escape as a teen on Halloween night and seek out his old home and a new target. A direct sequel to the original Halloween was released in 2018, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Nick Castle. A sequel to that, Halloween Kills, was released in 2021. And a sequel to that, Halloween Ends, was released in 2022. And I think there's some more in there somewhere, too, like Halloween H2O and and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure all the Halloween movies. I haven't kept up with them after the originals. But considered a classic horror film down to its spooky soundtrack, Halloween did inspire other iconic slasher films like Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th. More family-friendly movies included Hocus Pocus, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Beetlejuice, and it's great, and it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And we know not to say Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Yeah, we don't say it three times, right? And if you listen to last week's episode, you know what our favorite Halloween films are. And I think we'll go watch one now. So with that, folks, thanks for listening. Until next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash forever paranormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode.